Blog Talk Radio. Which means good morning in the ancient 
Paleo-Hebrews. I'm your host, your brother, your friend, as always, Tazipa. And, uh, man, I hope everybody's good, man. I hope everybody's good. I hope everybody is healthy. hope everybody had a good weekend, uh, a great Sabbath. Uh, man, I got a lot I want to unpack this morning, man. Um, what's that uh, Jamie Foxx special he did years back? I might need security. <laughs> I might need security. I might get some death threats after this one, y'all. Anyway, man, let me go ahead and dive into it. Uh, if it's your first time tuning in, we are Hebrew Israelites. We are the people of the book, y'all. And we prove this historically. We also use secular sources to bring in to validate what the Bible is saying and prove who we are, man, according to the book, according to the truth. And remember, y'all, truth is something that is proven. If you cannot prove it, it's not the truth, man. All right, y'all. So I usually do about an hour of news, current events before I dive into the topic. Never wax pale. I'm going to apologize, y'all, for uh, last week we were having some technical difficulties, um, and we couldn't do the show. But we are back this week, man. So let me go ahead and dive into it. Uh, Matthew chapter 6 and verse 9, after this manner, therefore pray ye, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So this is the prayer we need to be sending up on the daily, y'all, so we can get the hell on out of this demonic, demonic place, which is getting worse by the day, man, by the day. All right, let's get Psalm chapter 118, verse 24, and it reads, This is the day which the Lord hath made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. So good or bad, happy or sad, if the Most High brought you to it, he'll bring you through it, and you'll come out better on the other side because of it. Please believe me. Yes, I've done the research, y'all. All right, y'all. So like I said, I got a lot of stuff to unpack. If you're not aware and if you ain't aware, I guess you didn't had your head under the bush somewhere. But this, uh, who they're referring to as a terrorist sect by the name of Hamas, has invaded Israel, the state of Israel. And they say they came in and murdered a lot of innocent people and took hostages, things of that nature. This is what they say. This is what the media reports everybody's been getting. Um, also, you get entertainers that are uh, standing up in solidarity with Israel, so on and so forth, which brings me to the first article I want to cover. Now, what I'm going to do, y'all, I'm going to read this article, but we're going to get into a lot of history. Yes, we, we, entitled, we titled this show Bible Talk, but we let the Bible talk, but I want us to understand that the Bible is not 
I repeat, not a religious book. It is a book of history, and we're going to bring that history out. All right, so the first article I'm going to read is from, what is this publication? Uh, The Jewish Chronicle. And the headline reads, Floyd Mayweather's private jet lands in Israel with two tons of supplies after Hamas attack. So the boxer, pretty boy Floyd, Floyd Mayweather, has sent his private jet over to Israel to support the Israeli people. All right, I'm going to read on. Floyd Mayweather's private jet has landed in Tel Aviv, carrying more than two tons of supplies for Israeli citizens and soldiers following Hamas's deadly terror attack. The former box, the former professional boxing champ sent dozens of boxes to the Jewish state carrying food, water, bulletproof vests, taking off from Los Angeles and stopping over in New York and London before arriving in Israel. Now, Floyd Mayweather is an excellent boxer. Watched a lot of his fights. Was a fan. But this brother is solely misguided. Solely misguided. And I don't recall, maybe I'm wrong, if y'all got any info regarding Floyd and his um, philanthropy, I hope I'm saying the word right, please notify me of that, of his charity, his generosity, which he's shown towards black and brown people. Please pull my coattail and make me aware of this. Because I don't remember hearing Floyd do things of this nature um, doing Katrina. I don't recall hearing Floyd do things of this nature when they had those uh, hurricanes down in H-Town a couple of years back when Joel Osteen shut the doors on black and brown people who let him in, the, in his church. I don't recall Floyd sending aid to the island of Puerto Rico when they had those uh, hurricanes smash through there and tear everything up. I don't recall hearing Floyd sending aid to the brothers and sisters who moved to Demona, Israel, and have been there for dozens of years, decades. I don't recall him sending aid to them when they were getting deported from Demona, Israel, because the Jewish people were saying that they were not Jews, and they were spitting on them, calling them all obscenities, and deporting them out of the place that they grew up in, that they were born in. Yeah, a lot of those brothers and sisters came from stateside and migrated over there, but they had children over there, and they were deporting children. But I don't recall hearing Floyd come to their rescue. I don't, re-hear, I don't recall hearing anything about Floyd coming to the rescue of uh, the Haitian, so-called Haitian brothers on the island of Hispaniola when they were going through the uh, earthquakes that they had or the food shortages that they had or all the coops that the CIA staged on their government. I don't recall hearing any of that. 
that he did. Maybe I'm wrong, y'all. Like I said, if I'm wrong, please pull my coattail to it. I don't recall hearing Floyd show up with uh, a water solution for Flint, Michigan. I don't recall hearing that. I don't. I don't recall Floyd standing up for any of his people stateside. This is good with stateside. Where was he at when they was persecuting Kyrie Irving just for posting the video? Where was he at when Kanye West said that we was Jews? I mean, Floyd does identify himself as being a Jew, Jewish. This is why I don't know if y'all seen him. He would have these hats on at NBA games with the Star David on, on the hat. So I don't recall him coming out to take up for Kanye or to take up for Kyrie. I don't recall that. Or Nick Cannon. When Nick Cannon was on the fire, I don't recall hearing none of that. Correct me if I'm wrong, y'all. Anyway, reading on. Um, According to the U.S. entertainment site, TMZ, the plane landed early on Sunday evening bringing with it over 100 boxes full of necessities. The plane was reportedly loaded in L.A. by volunteers, including Mayweather security team and friends. The same day his plane landed, Mayweather participated in a march for solidarity with Israel in L.A., walking half a mile for Orthodox, from Orthodox Synagogue, Israel of Century City, to the Simon West Westerall Central Museum of Tolerance alongside religious leaders, activists, and officials. The delivery came after Mayweather posted on Instagram to express his solidarity with Israel. His quote, last Monday he said, I stand with Israel against the Hamas terrorists. Hamas do not represent the the people of Palestine, but are a terrorist group that are attacking innocent lives. Stand for all humans. <laughs> you see this? I stand for all humans <laughs> and wish for the safe return of all Americans and Israelis and any human that were that were kidnapped as hostages during the terror, the these horrific uh, war crimes. These horrific war crimes. Now. I want us to focus on what he just said. He called what Hamas, the so-called terrorist group, is doing war crimes, y'all. Now, let me get this. Bear with me, y'all. I'm going to be jumping back and forth. I got another article I want to open up. All right. So this one right here is from PBS NewsHour. International Criminal Court Issues Arrest Warrant for Putin Over Ukraine War Crimes. So this is Vladimir Vladimir Putin in March of this year was brought up on war crimes. Now, they, they said he was accused of, let me see, the International Criminal Court said on Friday it issued an arrest warrant for Russian President Vladimir Putin for war crimes because of his alleged involvement in abduction of children from Ukraine. So they said that he was abducting children from Ukraine and relocating them, y'all. 
So that's what he was accused of. Now, and this, these were the war crimes they accused him of. Now, remember what Floyd just said about Hamas and their war crimes. Now, remember, they, they talked about bringing up Putin on war crime charges, right? Now, listen to this. So this is from uh, NBC News. And this is actually from last week. It says, what is the Gaza Strip? All right. So we ain't going to go into that. We all can get get the history on the the Gaza Strip, y'all. Just bear with me. All right. Here we go. Despite pleas from the United Nations and human rights groups, Israel has maintained a land, air, and sea blockage of Gaza since 27. I'm sorry, since 2007. So y'all listen to this. Israel, the Israelis, since 2007, has basically policed the Gaza Strip. All right? It says that has a devastating effect on Palestinians, Palestinian civilians. Israel says the blockage, which gives it control of Gaza's borders, also enforced by Egypt, is necessary to protect Israeli citizens from Hamas. So this is back in 2007. Now watch this. The International Committee of the Red Cross considers the blockage illegal and says it violates the Geneva Convention. If you're not familiar with what the Geneva Convention is, the Geneva Convention was a convention that they had to discuss what would uh, classify as a war crime during war times? So the Geneva Convention labeled what the Israelis was doing to the Palestinian, so-called Palestinian people, a war crime. It said it violates the Geneva Convention, a charge Israeli officials deny. The UN, various human rights groups, and legal scholars Citing the blockage, consider Gaza to still be under military occupation by Israel. All right, now this was back in 2007, but recently, in light of the attacks that they say they experienced by Hamas, they've done that and worse. They've cut off all food to the Gaza Strip. All food, all medical supplies, all water. So you got these Palestinian people, so-called Palestinian people, and I say so-called for a reason, we'll get to that, being denied basic human rights by the Israelis, but I haven't seen any public media uh, publication come out and say that they're in violation of the Geneva Convention and they are being brought up on war crimes. But they were quick to bring Vladimir Putin up on war crimes. I hope y'all seeing this. Let's get back to our brother Floyd. He said that Hamas was committing war crimes. Read it again. Last Monday, he said, I stand with Israel against the Hamas terrorists. 
Hamas do not represent the people of Palestine, but are a terrorist group that are attacking innocent lives. I stand for all humans and wish for the safe return of all Americans and Israelis and any human that were human that was uh, that were kidnapped as hostages doing these horrific war crimes. War crimes. Y'all see this, right? Which brings me to this. Let's get Hosea. Chapter 4 and verse 6. This is what the Most High says. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. And we truly are. Our people, black and brown people, so-called Negroes, so-called Hispanics, so-called Native Americans, are destroyed for the things that we do not know. And there's a reason I'm saying this, y'all. So what does our brother Floyd know? All right, y'all, let's go into this book. And I brought this book out countless times. Uh, But this book is entitled, Who is Esau? Who is Edom? All right, and we're going to start at, let's go to page 22. Matter of fact, let's go to page, yeah, let's jump. Let's go to page 22. So the book, once again, is titled, Who is Esau? Who is Edom? By Charles A. Wiseman. All right, page 22. It says, um, this hatred by God towards Esau is an attribute that the human heart cannot accept or embrace. And therefore, many will try to explain it away. Thus, scores of theologians have avoided this truth of Scripture or have whitewashed it into something more appealing to human nature. And the Scripture in question is Romans chapter 9 and verse 13 in the New Testament, mind you. It says, as it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. Now, I know a lot of people, a lot of holy rollers, a lot of church-doing people say that God is all love. And this is why he said that people will try to explain this scripture away because everybody's under the concept that God just loves people and God does not hate people. When here it clearly says in the scripture, Romans 9, 9 and 13, which the author of this book cites, that God does, in fact, hate people. And this is how you know people don't read the Bible. Because if people read the Bible, they're at least made it to Genesis, the 6th, 7th, 8th, and ninth chapter. In it is the building of the ark by Noah. Noah being saved or survived by the Most High and along with seven other people because eight people total survived the flood. Only eight people. So God killed the whole world but survived only eight people, but God only does good. Story in the Bible which displays God's hatred for a certain type of peoples would be Sodom and Gomorrah when he destroyed the five cities of Sodom and Gomorrah and only survived Lot and his two daughters. But God does not hate, God does not do evil. That's quite the contrary, y'all. Y'all need to go back and read the Bible, y'all, under this conception, misconception. 
All right, back to this book, getting to the point. What does Floyd not know? What does Floyd not know? Maybe he does. We're just going to give him uh, the benefit of the doubt. Page 23. There is not one favorable or positive statement in the Bible in relation to Esau, Edom, but how does this adverse relationship with God has towards Esau, Edom, help us to identify who this character is in the world today? To help us answer this, we have to put ourselves into the role which Esau has been assigned in God's script. If God hated you and your ancestors, how would you react and what would you do? By nature, the natural reaction would be against God and his people. So this is what the author is saying. If God hated you and your whole race, then by nature, you would hate God and you would hate his people. It says, and try to prevent them from finding out you are Esau. So what does these Jewish people and also the so-called white men, what do they not want people to find out? That they are, the, in fact, Edomites of the Bible that God hates. It says, and try to prevent them from finding out you are Esau, the one God is against. Knowing that if God is against something, so followers, who is it that tries to conceal their identity as Esau? the one hated by God, by claiming to be Israel, the one loved by God. Only one group of people react as though God has a hatred for them. That is the Jews. Why do you suppose the Jews from organizations, I'm sorry, form organizations such as the Anti-Defamation League to monitor and to combat hate, to identify hate groups, would not Esau want to do this? Why is it that it is predominantly Jews who promote the anti-hate laws and other hate crimes legislation? If you were Esau Edom, would you not do the same? An Edomite would also want to infiltrate churches. Listen to this. Infiltrate churches and seminars to get God's people to believe that there is no God of hate only God of love and mercy. The Jews have done just that in Christendom, and they have. I don't know what church y'all may affiliate with, congregate with, but I'm sure they probably asked for proceeds for, to help Israel out right now. They probably asked for money to be sent to them. And I seen a lady at work with a shirt on that said, Christians in support of is- Israel. <laughs> Which makes no sense. And it makes no sense because these people own everything. So it's not like they really need your support. They own the media. They own the music industry, the television industry. They own all media publications. Kanye told us this. Why y'all think they, they try so hard to shut them down? Excuse me, Ye told us this. This is why they, they tried so hard to shut him down, and now you ain't really heard nothing from him, right? This is why they were able to hold his money up from the bank. How the bank going to deny you access to your own funds? This is the control that they have. And I'm not just bumping my gums. I got proofs. So 
This is who is Esau, who is Edom. Now watch this. And we're going to get back to this book, and we're going to get some history, too. I got another book. So this book right here is by Arthur Kostler, and it's entitled The Thirteenth Tribe. All right? Let's see where I'm doing this one. Hold on for a second, y'all. Here we go. Let's go to page 15. Uh, I'm going to start right here. It says, our investigations cannot go into problems pertaining to the history of, of ideas, but we must call the reader's attention to the matter of the Khazar kingdom's state religion. It was the Jewish faith which became the official religion of the ruling satar of society. Needless to say, the acceptance of the Jewish faith as the state religion of an ethnical non-Jewish people could be the subject of interesting speculation. Here's what he's saying, speculation. Now, this book was written, like I said, by Arthur Kostler, and he himself was a Jewish dude. So he's saying that in relation to historical accounts, these Jewish people are not even Jews. He says that this is all speculation. They have doc- they have produced nothing, no facts, to show that they are, in fact, the people of the Bible, of the book. It says, we shall, however, confine ourselves to the, to the, the remark that this official conversions in defiance of Christian proselytizing by Byzantine, the Muslim influence from the East, and in spite of the p- political pressure of these two powers to a religion which had no support from any political power, but was persecuted by nearly all, has come as a surprise to all historians concerning concerned with the Khazars and cannot be considered as accidental, but must be regarded as a sign of the independent policy pursued by that kingdom, which leaves us only slightly more bewildered than before. Yet, whereas the sources differ in minor detail, the major facts are beyond dispute. What is, what is in dispute is the fate of the Jewish Khazars, after the destruction of their empire. Now listen to this, y'all. In the 12th and 13th century, on this problem, the sources are scant, but various late medieval Khazar settlements are mentioned in the Crimea and in Ukraine, in Hungary, Poland, Lithuania. The general picture that emerges from these fragmented pieces of information is that of a migration of Khazar tribes, and communities into those regions of Eastern Europe, mainly Russia, Poland, 
where at the dawn of the modern age and the greatest concentration of Jews were found. This has led several historians historians to conjuncture that a substantial part and perhaps the majority in Jews and hence of world Jewry might be of Kaiser and not of Semitic origin. Well, y'all listening to this, he's saying that they're not of Semitic origin, that they're, um, they are not the Jews. Okay? That, that's from Arthur Kostler's The Thirteenth Tribe, all right? That's from his book. So that's another source saying that this author of this book, let's go back now, who is Esau, who is Edom, is saying, let's get the origin of these people and where they really came from. So let's go back to who is Esau, who is Edom. We're going to read page seven now. The Nathabians, or the Nabathians, now occupied Mount Seir. So when it talks about the Nabathians, it's talking about the so-called Arabs, y'all. They occupied Mount Seir. And what happened over, over history was the Arabs pushed the Edomites out. And y'all can look up the city, uh, what is it, Patra. Patra, and you can look up and you can see the statue. It's a, a huge tourist attraction. People go there every year to visit it. But Patra is basically a, a, a community that's carved into a stone. So y'all can check that out. But that's where Esau, the Edomites, used to live till they were pushed out by the Arabs, and the Arabs took that region over. So this is what it's talking about. It says, and the Edomites were driven into the old territory of Judah. The Maccabean family, a remnant of the true Judites, and you can read about the Maccabees in the Apocrypha, the book that was originally in the King James 1611 Bible, fits right in between the Old and the New Testament. It goes into great detail about the wars that the Maccabees had with the Seleucid dynasty. But anyway, reading on. It says, had ruled Judea from 166 to 37 B.C. under Judas Maccabees, and it cites 1 Maccabees 5 and 3, recaptured the city of Hebron from the Edomites in 164 B.C. During the time of John Hycranus, 135-105 B.C., the nephew of Judas, the Judites, were again faced with the, with the hostility of the Idumeans. So these are the Edomites. Hycranus confronted the Edomites, causing a decisive change in the relations between the two factions. John Hycranus conquered, listen to this, the whole of Edom and undertook the forced conversion of its inhabitants to Judaism. And he cites the Josephus book 10, 11, 12, 13, book 13, chapter 9, paragraph 1. Thenceforth, the Edomites became a section of the Jewish people. So the Edomites were converted to Judaism. Now listen to this. Thus, at this juncture of time, the Edomites were then 
incorporated with the Jewish nation. And their country was called by the Greeks and Romans, Idumea. Turned in favor of the Edomite faction when Julius Caesar, the first Caesar of Rome, made Antipater, an Edomite, procreator of Judea in 47 B.C. When Antipater was killed four years later, his son Herod, or Herod gained power but was rejected by the Judites. So this is the same Herod of the Bible. Let me prove it to y'all. Let me read the rest of this, and I'm going to get to the Bible. Herod truly gained the support of Rome with a Roman army as, as his heels, I'm sorry, at his heels, he returned to Palestine, and after a six-month siege, he captured Jerusalem and became king of Judea in 37 B.C. Now, let's prove he became king. Let's go to the Bible now. Let's go to the book of Matthew, chapter 1. Matter of fact, chapter 2. Now, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod, the king, behold, there came wise men from the east of Jerusalem. Now, remember, Herod is referred to as what? The king. And we just read it out of this book, who was Esau, who was Edom, that in 37 B.C., he became king of Judea. I'm going to read this again, Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. Now, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east of Jerusalem. So this is this goes hand in hand with what we just read out of this book, Who Was Esau, Who Was Edom. Herod was a convert. And y'all can Google this. Y'all get time. Look up the Herodian dynasty on Wikipedia, and you will see a long list of Herod's successors going all the way down to even after the time of Christ and um, his son, son, his like great-great-grandson, Nero. So you, you can read about all of that. Like I said, Google it, y'all. But he was a convert. So this, this is the origin of how these Jewish people came to be known as Jewish. All right? Keep this in mind. All this is important. Back to the book, Who Was Esau, Who Was Edom, page 8. Herod was a shrewd and unscrupulous tyrant and was despised, listen to this, despised by the Judites because he was Idumean and not one of their own stock. He was not an Israelite, all right? How did they know he was not of their stock? Because we kept records. Israelites kept records. You can start, you can read Matthew chapter 1. That it says the genealogy of Christ, it gives Christ's record, his registry, his genealogy. You can go and read the book, 1st Ezra, Nehemiah, and you'll read genealogy. 1st Chronicles, you'll read genealogy. We kept records. So we knew who was Israel and who wasn't. Now, the dead giveaway for him is this. The dead giveaway, him not being a Jew, is this. Now, watch this, y'all. 
Let's get Hebrews chapter 7. And we're going to read verse... Uh, Let me find it. Hebrews 7, verse 14. Now listen to this. For it is evident that our Lord sprang out of Judah. So it says our Lord. Who is our Lord? It's talking about Christ. So Christ came out of the tribe known as Judah. All right? Because there, there, there is originally 12 tribes of Israel. Judah being the fourth tribe. He was the fourth born son of a man named Israel. All right? And this is the tribe that Christ came out of. Now, let's go to Revelation. Revelation chapter 1. And we're going to Revelation so we can get a description of what Christ looked like. So Revelation chapter 1. And let's start at verse 14. Because we want to get to the point. Matter of fact, let's do this. Revelation chapter 1 and verse 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ. The word revelation means to reveal. So the revealing of Christ. The revelation of Jesus Christ. All right? That's what Revelation chapter 1 and verse 1 says. And we're going to skip down. So here's the revelation or the revealing of Christ, what he looked like. Verse 14. His head and his hairs were white like wool. So it gives color and it gives texture. So first of all, we find out he had a head full of white hair, which would be gray hair, all right? Then it gives the texture, wool. Who are the only people that have woolly hair? It's the so-called black man. So Herod, we know, was an Idumean, a Roman. Romans don't have woolly hair, all right? But listen to this. And his eyes were as a flame of fire, and his feet like fine brass, as if they burn in a furnace. If you burn anything in a furnace, what color is it going to turn? It's going to turn black, y'all. So this is giving a description of what Christ looked like. Take a piece of brass, burn it, bam, you got the color of Christ. I hope y'all are seeing this. So Christ, according to the Bible, which is from the tribe of Judah, is what we would refer to as a so-called black man, according to the Bible. Now, watch this. We'll go to Daniel now. How do we prove this? Matter of fact, let's get Daniel first, and then we're going to jump. Look at Daniel chapter 10. I want to take my time with this one, y'all. I might run a little bit over today. Daniel chapter 10. Let's get verse 5. Now, we got John the Revelator's vision of what Christ looked like. John the Revelator, John the Revelator wrote the book of Revelations. That's why it's called Revelations. Now, let's get Daniel's vision. He had a vision also. Daniel chapter 10, verse 5. Then I lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, a certain man clothed in linen, whose loins were girt with fine gold of Euphrates. His body also was like the beryl, meaning the garment he had on was the color of green. And we find in verse 5 it was made out of linen. Because in Revelations, it told us all of this too. I didn't read all of that, 
I just got to the point, but I want to get to the point here also. Listen to this. His face as the appearance of lightning, and his eyes as the lamps of fire. Like I said, the revelations, it said red, right? Fire is what color? Red. It says, and his arms, so given a description of them, his arms and his feet like in color to polished brass, just like it said in Revelations. Now, polished brass is finished brass. The way you finish brass is you burn it to burn all the impurities out of it, just like it said in Revelations, being burned in a furnace. Same thing. If you Once again, if you burn anything in a furnace, what color is it going to turn? It's going to turn black. And remember, Revelations gave us just his feet, but in here in Daniel, it gives us his arms and his feet, all right, to show that it was all one color. He didn't have, he wouldn't, his feet were just not dirty from walking around in the dirt. This was his actual skin color. Now, I said we were going to prove this, in fact, that Christ was a man of color, all right? He's not what's being shown on these pictures that are just hanging up at your big mama house, your auntie house your old birdhouse back in the day with looking like a white blonde hippie dude. Those pictures are um, historically incorrect. It's what they call iconoclasm. All right. So let's go to Matthew chapter, uh, let me see, chapter 2. Now watch this. Go ahead, verse 11. And when they were coming to the house, they saw the young child. This is the wise men that came to see Christ. They came into the house. They saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasuries, they presented unto him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh, and being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod, which was who? The Idumean, <laughs> not of Christ's lineage or Christ's stock. He was from another nation. They departed into their own country another way. Now, why would they depart? Because Herod wanted to kill Christ. In fact, he killed all babies, all Israelite babies at this time that were two, what, two and under, I believe, two years and younger. He killed all of them because he knew that Christ was the king of the Jews and Christ threatened his rulership and his kingdom. I want us to understand this. This is why Herod wanted Christ dead. Verse 13, back to the point. And when they were departed, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, and take the young child and his mother, the young child being Christ, and his mama, and flee into Egypt. And be thou there until I bring thee word, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. Now, if Christ was a white man, why the hell would a white man run down into Africa to hide out among other dark people? Wouldn't he stick out like a sultan? Something to scratch your head on, which proves he was not, I repeat, not, what Malcolm say, a pale face. And we already proved it. We got the description out of the Bible. Now, it said that Christ came from the tribe of Judah. So let's get what the, what the Jews look like. So let's get Jeremiah chapter 14, verse 2. Jeremiah chapter 14, verse 2. Judah mourned 
in the gangster of language, they are black unto the ground. So what color are the Jews? Because Jew is short for Jew. The color of the Jews are their many shades of brown. That's why it says they're black unto the ground. The ground is many different shades of what color? Brown. I have not seen the color of the so-called white man displayed in any ground that I've seen, y'all. It's either a dark potting soil brown or a light brown. And a brother or sister that that's color, we call them what? We refer to them as red bone, <laughs> right? Or light, light-skinned light it. Or you light-skinned it. <laughs> but this is the color of the Jews. This is the color of the Israelites. They are, I repeat, they are not white folks. I hope, I hope everybody's understanding this. Now, this is why Christ said this. Let's stay in the Bible now, and let's get let's go to Revelation chapter two. Uh, let me show y'all this before we go there. Now you know. Let's go ahead. Let's go there, and then we're gonna jump somewhere else. Let's go to Revelation chapter two. Revelation chapter two and verse nine. Now listen to what Christ said. I know thy works, and tribulation and poverty, but thou art rich. And I know the blasphemy, the blasphemy is a lie, of them which say they are Jews and are not, but are of the synagogue of Satan. So Christ said he knows the lie of these people that are walking around talking about they're the Jews, and they ain't the Jews. Now, people will read this and say, no, he's not talking about the Jewish people. Yes, in fact, he is. Who is he talking about during this time? He's talking about the Herodian dynasty because these were the people that were walking around portraying themselves as Jews, and they were not. I'm going to continue to prove this. Let's get Acts chapter 13. Watch this. Now, there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers as Barnabas and Simon that was called Nigger and Lucia of Cyrene and men, many which had been, listen to this, brought up with Herod, Tetra, and Saul. <laughs> this Herod is the same Herod we just read about in Matthew, the first chapter. This is his lineage. Not the same dude, I'm sorry, y'all, because by this time he was dead. But this is talking about his lineage. And when it says that they have been brought up, they were actually going to our synagogues or to our schools to learn the law. And Herod's lineage spent all the way down to Agrippa. He was part of the Herodian dynasty. And remember what Paul told him? He said, I, I wanted to appeal before you because I know you know the laws of the Jews. What did he learn the laws of the Jews from? From his daddy and his daddy's daddy that had attended our synagogues and studied our book. I hope y'all understand this. Now let's go back to who was Esau, who was Edom? Uh, page, what was that? Page 8. Yeah. Herod was a shrewd and unscrupulous tyrant and was despised by the Judites because he was, uh, because he was an Idumean 
and not of one of their own stock. Herod hated the people of Judah, and one of his first acts was to execute 45 of the leaders of the old aristocracy to eliminate any rival for leadership, just like he tried to destroy Christ. Having secured the kinship, the kingship, Herod next destroyed the priestly line of Hycranus. So John Hycranus, the Israelite, he destroyed all his lineage. The last being Antigonus, who taunted Herod with his Idumean origin and asserted that the kingdom should fall on one of the royal family. Finally, he murdered Archibulus, the last of the, the uh, Arianic high priests. Herod then sought to affiliate himself with the high priesthood through marrying Mamari, Archibulus' sister, and the daughter of a high priest. So he married into the Maccabean family, actually had a kid by one of the Maccabean princesses who he ended up killing. It says, Herod even rebuilt the temple, and it was in ruins from repeated sieges, part of which Herod was responsible for by his attack upon the city. So Herod rebuilt the temple. The temple that we read about in the New Testament is not the temple that we rebuilt after we returned from the exile of the Babylonian captivity during the Persian Mede Empire or a period of rulership. That was not the same temple. Herod rebuilt the temple, and he put in that weeping wall that thousands upon thousands of Jewish people go back and be crying in front of, beating all on their stuff in front of. Well, that weeping wall, y'all, and I'm sure Meshavah's brought, brought this out in his class, that weeping wall is the weeping wall of Tammuz. That's pagan. That's a pagan deity. That Tammuz is the T who everybody's walking around loosely thinking it's a cross, but no, it's a T for Tammuz. So Herod had that wall built at the temple that he renovated uh, in Jerusalem during the time of Christ. All right, it says the temple of God became, in a sense, Herod's temple. We thus find that in the years just before the time of Christ, Judah, Judea, was controlled by an Edomite faction who usurped, usurped the Judite name, land, and heritage. So this was even way back then they took the land. Now, Man, I ain't know I was going to be running this over, y'all. I'm sorry, y'all. I got to get this off, though. I got to get it off my chest. So now we're going to go to the Jerusalem timeline, y'all. Let's go to the Jerusalem timeline and where I want to go. Man. I might have to come back, man. This is a lot. Um, all right, y'all. Jerusalem timeline. Listen to this. This is a timeline of major events in history of Jerusalem, a city that had been fought over 16 times in its history. During this long history, Jerusalem has been destroyed twice, besieged 23 times, attacked 52 times, 
and captured and recaptured 44 times. So this is the history of our city, Jerusalem, which is in Israel, y'all. So what we don't realize, <laughs> what Floyd don't realize, so all the, the stuff I just covered, plus this stuff right here, almost every war that has been fought, I'm talking World War One, World War Two, even the stuff going on right now, it's been because of us. And when I say us, I'm talking about the Israelites, y'all, or proxy wars. That they're not the, the real head-on mono-mono wars, but proxy wars. The real war is against us. Us finding out who we are and standing up unified as a people and Christ coming back to rage war on these nations. That's the real war. But the proxy wars is to keep us from knowing who we are. That's why Jerusalem has been fought over for so many times. And this is why I wanted to bring this out, y'all. Now, we're going to jump. And y'all can get this. It's off of Wikipedia. It's called the uh, the Timeline of Jerusalem. So let's go to uh, where I want to go first. Let's go to the Ottomans. Now, this is the timeline of people who have rulership and authority over Jerusalem, y'all. So it's got all the periods on here, but we're going to skip for uh, for lack of time. Matter of fact, let's go early Muslim period. So the early Muslim period of Jerusalem, now this is the time that the Muslims actually occupied the land of Israel, 636-637. It says, Caesar of Jerusalem, Arabian Caliphate, Umar the Great, conquers Jerusalem and, at the request of Jerusalem's Christian patriarch, enters the city on foot, following the decisive defeat of the Byzantine Empire. All right. Now, the Byzantine Empire, the word Byzantine means contrary or backwards. The reason it's called the Byzantine or backwards era, also known as the Dark Ages, mind you, is because it was contrary to what the world had known. It was contrary in the sense that you had dark people in power ruling. That's why it was contrary, because before this, you had the Roman Empire was in power. All right, and the Byzantine Empire was part of the Holy Roman Empire, not the Roman Empire, but the Holy Roman Empire. All right, I want us to understand this. So we're reading about how the Arabs came in and they took over Jerusalem, like I said, or this article says in 637, 6, uh, 636 to 637. So Jerusalem was under uh, Arab occupation. It says, at the Battle of Yomaki, a few months earlier, Patriarch, I'm about to butcher this name, y'all, Sophronis and Umar are reported to have agreed the covenant of Umar the first, which guaranteed non-Muslims freedom of religion and under Islamic rule for the first time since the Roman period. Jews 
were once again allowed to live and worship freely in Jerusalem. So you still had Israelites that was there in Jerusalem, in Israel. Jerusalem becomes part of the, the June Philistine providence of the Arab Caliphate. So here you have the Arabs that had moved into our land and basically took it over and controlled it. Once again, this happened around 637, 636, 636, 637 A.D. All right. Now let's go into the Crusades. So if you're not familiar with the Crusades are, the Crusades is is where you had the Islamic faction or the Mohammedans fighting against Christians, all right? And these Christians were actually Israelites, all right? It says, 1099, First Crusade, Kingdom of Jerusalem, Siege of Jerusalem. First Crusaders captured Jerusalem and slaughtered most of the city's Muslims and Jewish inhabitants. So when it talks about Jewish inhabitants, it is talking about Israelites. This is black-on-black crime. It's Israelites fighting against other Israelites. The Jewish people that it's referring to is referring to the Israelites that did not believe in Christ. But when it says the Christians, these were Israelites that did, in fact, believe in Christ. And we're going to get to that when I get to the second half of the program where I go into the topic. So this is where you had... Uh, us coming back into power, and amongst us was sprinkled some what's known as Idumeans, some Edomites. All right, so this happened once again around 1099-1187 A.D. All right, now we're going to jump again. Now we're going to jump to the Ottomans. How much time I got? Not no time at all. Supposed to be in the class right now. Okay, Ottoman period. It says, 1516, the Ottoman Empire replaces the Mulurk in Palestine after Sultan Selim I defeats the the last Mulak Sultan, Al-Ashrif Kozaz, I'm butchering names, so I'm letting y'all know that now. At the Battle of Majar Daquit. All right, so this is the Arabs, well, actually, the Edomite Arabs coming into power. Known, they were known as the Ottoman Turks, all right? The Ottoman Turks came into power around the late 1400s, which started the Renaissance was known as the Renaissance era. The word Renaissance means rebirth. What was being reborn? The so-called white man and his power was being reborn by way of the Ottoman Turks, who were Edomites who converted to Islam. So they were basically white Arabs. And it's crazy, too, because even on the cover of this book, Who Was Esau, Who Was Edom? It has a, a, a picture of a lot of Edomites, right? And dead center is a, a Edomite in a turban, were converts, all right? But they were Edomites. But this was them coming back into power, like I said, the Renaissance era. I don't know if y'all remember this. Uh, think back to where you were in high school, and um, 
you would go over these boring uh, history classes and boring in the sense that it was geared towards white people and what their great accomplishments. And they would be all go into the Renaissance era and they would pull out all like these statues and these paintings, Leonardo uh, da Vinci and all of this stuff. And you would learn about these famous authors Well, particularly uh, the paintings of the Renaissance era would all be paintings of who? So-called white people, right? This was them coming back into power. And this is during the time where they were whitewashing the books. And we have these books on deck, man. There's a book known as the Russian Icons, which shows all the biblical figures as being brown and black people, which they are, in fact. But during this time is where the so-called white man did what was known as iconoclasm, and they whitewashed everything. So all the black and brown people of the Bible, they made them white. So this is during that period. Now I'm going to jump down to, uh, let me see, Ottoman, the Crusades, to, what is this, 7, nope, wait a minute, 1099. Hold on, y'all, let me find this real quick. This is the one I believe I want. Yeah, this is the one I want. So the Ottomans, they're in power, and we're going to jump all the way to British Mandate. British Mandate, 1917. This is important, y'all. British Mandate, 1917. The Ottomans are defeated at the Battle of Jerusalem during the First World War. World War II, World War One, y'all. Who would have thunk it? All right, y'all. I got I got kicked off, man. Blog Talk kicked me off, but I'm back. I hope everybody can uh, hear me loud and clear, man. If you got my phone number, text me and let me know uh, that I'm back on and y'all can hear me. So shoot me a let me know, let me know y'all can hear me, man. Uh, my number is three one four four eight two ninety one ten. All right, back to what I'm saying now. All of this, y'all, is the Jerusalem timeline. I can't I can't get into a lot of the current events of what's going on in Israel until we know the background of the state of Israel, okay? So one thing we found out is that the land originally belonged to the Israelites and it had been fought over and took from the Israelites many a time. And all of this is substantiated in the Bible because the Most High told us he's going to kick us out of our land countless times. So this is the British Mandate, 1917. The Ottomans are defeated at the Battle of Jerusalem during the First World War. The British Army's general, alien by, enters Jerusalem on foot in a reference to the interest of Caliphate Umar in 637. And we read about this when the Muslims came and, and, and conquered Jerusalem. Umar, the Caliphate Umar, he walked in. So this white Edomite that had converted to Arab principles, to Mohammedism, he walked in the same way Umar the first walked in in 637 A.D. 
Now listen to this. This is the important part. The Balfour Declaration had been issued just a month before. So if we aren't familiar with the Balfour Declaration is, it's a declaration that was drew up by this Jewish cat named Belfar that basically proclaimed the land of Israel, the land of the Jewish people. Now, mind you, before the Jewish people were there, before any Edomite was there, the Arabs were there, all right? And they referred to the land as Palestine. Now, what it actually is is Philistine. The word Palestine is really Philistine. Now, the Philistines occupied that land, but the Israelites took it over by the Most High proclaiming that that land was ours. You can go back in the Bible and get this. I don't have time, y'all. I'm sorry. All right, so let me read on. It says, uh, the British Army's General uh, Allen By enters Jerusalem on foot. In reference to the entrance of Caliphate Umar in 637, the Balfour Declaration had been issued just a month before. The pro-Jerusalem society is founded by Sir Ronald Storr, the British governor of Jerusalem, and charged Robert Ashby, an architect. They repair the city walls and institute a number of key city planning laws, including that all buildings must face must be faced with Jerusalem stone. All right. Now let me jump down. Matter of fact, let's get the Balfour Declaration. All right, y'all. Balfour Declaration was a public statement issued by the British government in 1917. Now. It says the British government, which was who during this time, so-called white people. So you have the other nations going to bat for the Jewish people. Now, remember what Christ said about these people, that they were from the synagogue of Satan. The word synagogue means house. So they're from the house of Satan, Satan, all right? They represent the devil, the spiritual entity, the devil. That's their father, like, that's their spiritual father, like, our spiritual father is the Most High. Their spiritual father is Satan, the devil. All right? That's a fact. All right, Balfour Declaration. The Balfour Declaration was a public statement issued by the British government in 1917 during the First World, World War, announcing its support for the establishment of a national home for the Jewish people in Palestine. Then an Ottoman region with a small minority Jewish population. Y'all see it? It was occupied by the Ottomans, the so, other so-called white people. And this is where a lot of the brothers now get that the so-called white man is the Arab. Yes and no. <laughs> yes in the fact that he converted to Islam, he converted to the Arab principles, but originally, he is not the Arab, all right? All right, reading on. It says, the declaration was contained in a letter dated 2 November 1917 from the United Kingdom's Foreign Secretary, Arthur Balfour. So he's the one that wrote it. And listen to who he wrote it to, to Lord Rothschild. So the Rothschilds, the ones that own everything, they're Jewish also. 
a leader of the British Jewish community for transmission to the Zionist Federation of Great Britain and Ireland. The text of the declaration was published in the press on 9 November 1917, immediately following their declaration of war on the Ottoman Empire in November 1914, the British War Cabinet began to consider the future of Palestine. Within two months, a memorandum was circulated to the cabinet by a Zionist cabinet member. They had already had plans on doing this. All right, so the Balfour Declaration, which made the state of Israel a Jewish state for the Jewish people, was declared in 1917, but it wasn't instituted till 1948 or recognized till 1948. I hope everybody understands this. Now, let's go back to the, the uh, Jerusalem timeline, and let's get 1948. Now, listen to this. Partition, matter of fact, wait a minute, wait a minute. I got to do this. So before we get to 1948, let's get let's go back to British Mandate and watch this. 1920, uh, Nabi Musa riots in, in and around the old city of Jerusalem marked the first large-scale skirmish of the Arab-Israeli conflict. So the first wide-scale conflict they had was back in 1920. Now the reason they had this conflict was because the Arabs had previously been there, had lived there. And once again, those Edomites who converted to Mohammedism, let Edomites, Jewish Edomites, came in, and they were taking over their land. And this is what the conflict is all about, y'all. The Arabs are saying that those Jewish people have no right to that land, and the Jewish white people are telling those Arabs that they have no right to that land. But in fact, neither one of them do because it's neither of their land. Now, Christ spoke on this. Let's get Matthew chapter 11, verse 12. Matthew chapter 11, verse 12. And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffered violence, and the violence taken by force. The kingdom of heaven that he's talking about, he's talking about the kingdom of the Israelites, which is the land of Israel. He said it suffered violence, and the violence taken by force. And we just read in the Jerusalem timeline all the violence that the kingdom of heaven or the land of Israel has been under. I hope y'all understanding this. Now, like I said, the Arabs have no right to this land either. And the Arabs are not our friends either. So I want to read y'all this. And this is from a book from Life World Library entitled Tropical Africa. It says, with their invasion of North Africa, the Arabs fastened their grip on the trans-Saharan slave trade. So many of us are familiar with 
the transatlantic slave trade, but how many of us, how many of us are familiar with the trans? I'm sorry, the trans-Saharan slave trade, in which the Arabs sold slaves, the Mohammedans, these Muslims, they actually sold slaves. This is why we tell brothers, the religion of Islam is not for you; it's for the Arabs. The Arabs are the ones that sold us into slavery. Hope y'all listening. Infiltrating the continent, both from the east and the north, they organized the trade at its sources of supply. The tribes of the hinterlands, until finally the Arab slavers became a familiar argument even among the peoples of Central Africa. The first to organize the international slave trade, the Arabs were the last to give it up. So who organized slavery as an institution and made it international? It was the Arabs. It's it, and they were the last to give it up. Now watch this. And in Saudi Arabia to this day, although now discreetly, and in masqueraded form, slaveholding and slave trading still exist. They still are selling us as slaves. Nevertheless, it was not pagan Africans nor Muslims, Arabs, who made the slave trade the monumental enterprise it became, now listen to this, but Christians, Europeans, Catholics, Angelicans, Calvinists, Lutherans, Portuguese, Spanish, English, Danes, Swedes, Germans. Y'all see this, right? This is why we say and we can prove that religion is white supremacy. Who who made the slave trade what it is? I'm going to read this part again. Nevertheless, it was not pagan Africans nor Muslim Arabs who made the slave trade the monumental enterprise it became, but Christians, Christian Europeans, Catholics, Angelicans, Calvinists, Lutherans, Portuguese, Spanish, English, French, Dutch, Danes, Swedish, and Germans, much as they might quarrel among themselves, because you know all them religions be fighting each other, and those countries be fighting each other, they could at least agree about the advantage to be gained from slaving. In that respect, they quarreled only about who should gain the most. They maintained their piety throughout, for it was easy to demonstrate that to remove the African from his heathen environment and expose him to Christian influences would be greatly to the advantage of his advantage of his moral morality. Oh, I'm sorry, advantage of his immortal soul. Meantime, there was money to be made. So I'm, I've read this, y'all, to show us that the Arabs they ain't our friends either. So that so the conflict that's going on right now in Israel, we shouldn't feel sorry for either side because neither one of them have right to our land. I hope y'all are seeing this. And this is what the brother Floyd is missing, or he may be privy to it. 
because he's in the upper echelon with them folks. He's been sold his soul. How the hell else could he afford a million and some dollar jet and to be supplying people with damn bulletproof vests? This nigga got some dope. But this nigga is grossly ignorant. Or like I said, he may not be ignorant of the fact of who those people really are and who he is. So, y'all, I think I didn't wolf enough about that. Um, I had a lot more, but I want to kind of salvage my class and the time I got left, man. So let me take a brief intermission intermission so I can regroup, and I'm going to come back with the class, y'all. I'll be right back. y'all i am back i am back man i hope i did not lose anybody on that man on that spill it was a lot of information being brought up uh i probably was going way too fast but i had to get that information out y'all if y'all got any questions uh any concerns anything you want to dispute that i went over feel free to hit me up man 314-482-9110. All right, let's dig into this class, man. It's entitled, Never Wax Pale, The Apostles Teach the Disperse. All right, what I've been doing in this segment, entitled Never Wax Pale, is I've been going over how the true people of the book are not those people we refer to as Jewish, they are not the people of the book, y'all. That we are, in fact, the people of the book. And I've been going through historical records as well as the Bible to prove so. And uh, what, what, we, what I was dealing with the last broadcast was um, the paganism of Christianity. Uh, what did the disciples do uh, after Christ resurrected and showed himself to them, um, which was actually... Um, during the time of the Feast of Weeks, also known as the Day of Pentecost. And that's what you get um, 
Acts, the second chapter, and they were speaking in tongues. That was the day of Pentecost. Because remember, Christ was crucified during the time of Passover. So you got Passover, Feast of Unleavened Bread, and then you have seven Sabbaths after Feast of Unleavened Bread, and that would give you uh, 50 days, which is also known as Pentecost or First Fruits, and that's what the brothers in Acts were celebrating. All right, so picking up from there, y'all, and going into how the disciples didn't even understand Christ's mission and what Christ had to do and what things had to transpire before the Israelites, us, could get the kingdom back. So let's pick up in St. John chapter 6 and verse 63. We're going to jump around a bit in this chapter. So St. John chapter 6 and verse 63, and it reads, it is the spirit that quickens, the flesh profited nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. But there are some of you that believe not. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that believed not and who should betray him. So when it says there were some that didn't believe, this was talking about some of the disciples also who did not believe. But Christ already knew who they were, and then it goes on to say he knew also who was going to betray him, which ended up being Judah, uh, Judah Iscariot. But Christ already knew that. Now, let's read verse 65. And he said, Therefore said I unto you, that no man can come unto me except it were given unto him of the Father. Now, what Christ is talking about here right now it's like, it's like uh, Isaiah chapter 1 when he said, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. We have to all be predestined to see this for ourselves, man. This is why it tells us in, uh, I think it's Isaiah also, when the Most High said that the Most High has poured out upon us the spirit of deep sleep. It says, Then the rest of Israel was blinded. And I'm paraphrasing. But this is why. You'll show somebody scriptures, something as simple and basic as the color of Christ, which we went over earlier part of the, uh, the segment, Revelation chapter 1, about Christ being a man of color with woolly hair. Now, I ain't going to say common sense because common sense ain't com- uh, common, but deductive reasoning, when we read that, woolly hair, dark skin, that's clearly talking about a black man. But you might show this to one of your relatives or your friends, and they say, man, I don't see it. This, it's not talking about that. Or you might show them Deuteronomy chapter 28 and verse 68 when it talked about how the Israelites were going to come on slave ships and be sold to their enemies. <laughs> and it's, I don't see that. Well, this is why they don't see it, because they weren't predestined to see this. I'm going to read this again, verse 64, St. John 6, 64. But there, there are some of you that believe not. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that believed not and who should betray him. And he said, therefore said I unto you, that no man can come unto me except it were given unto him of my father. Like I said, man, we have to be predestined. Verse 66, tell him the disciples this. From that time, listen to this, from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. 
So Christ actually lost disciples because of his, what he had said. Now let's get, because that's part of the reason he lost it. Let's get the other part. We're going to jump up in this chapter, verse 29. Jesus answered and said unto them, This is the work of God, that ye believe on him whom he hath sent. We know. It says, they said, they said therefore unto him, What sign should thou then that we may see and believe thee? What doest thou work? So this is us, the Israelites, looking for what? A sign. You know, it's like we always be saying, man, you got to show me. Seeing is believing. I ain't going to believe it till I see it. This is our people way back then, man. Show me something. I ain't going to believe it till I see it. That's what they're saying. Verse 31. Our fathers did eat manna in the desert, as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. So now they're bringing up the Old Testament. It's in the New Testament, right? Because all the New Testament does is quote the Old Testament, y'all. I hope y'all know that. So they said, man, we got we ate manna. Now listen to what Christ told them, verse 32. Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven. He said, Moses didn't give you that. But my Father giveth you the true bread from heaven, for the bread of God is, is he which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. Now, Christ is talking about himself. Now, listen to this. Then said they unto him, Lord, evermore give us this bread. And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. <laughs> now, Christ is speaking Metaphorically, this is a metaphor. But watch this: He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. But I said unto you that ye also have seen me and believe not, because remember, and we got this the last class how he showed himself to his disciples. And I think it was Thomas that didn't believe. He said, except I put my fingers in the hole. So this is what Christ is talking about, even with the Israelites then. He says, verse 36, I'm going to read it. But I said unto you that ye also have seen me and believe not. And he's speaking to the disciples, verse 37. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out for I came down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the Father's will which had sent me, that of all which he had given me I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. And this is the will of him that sent me, that everyone which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life. And I will raise him up. At the last day. Now listen to this, y'all. Verse 41. The Jews then murmured at him because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. Now listen to all the stuff Christ said. But the only thing they took away from is, man, this nigga said he was the bread. What the hell is he talking about? But Christ didn't just say he was the bread. He said a whole bunch of other stuff. Verse 42. And they said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph? 
whose father and mother we know, just like black people. Boy, I know your mom and daddy. What are you talking about? Bread. You ain't no bread. <laughs> this is our people clowning, man. He says, uh, how is it then that he said, I came down from heaven? They saying, how this dude say he come from heaven when we know the boy daddy? We know the boy mama. But he talking about he come from heaven. Verse 43. Jesus therefore answered and said unto them, murmur not among yourselves. No man can come to me except the father which hath sent me draw him. Got to be ordained, like I said. And I will raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall be all taught of God. Every man, therefore, that had, had heard and had learned of the Father coming unto me. So we're going to read the verse 56, y'all. Not that any man had seen the Father, save he which is of God. He had seen the Father. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me has everlasting life. I am that bread of life. So Christ is reiterating he was the manna. He was the bread, verse 49. Your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which cometh down from heaven, that a man may eat thereof and not die. So I told you Christ is speaking metaphorically, but they don't get this. Verse 51. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. Any man eat of this bread, and remember, y'all, to eat means to partake or to consume. So Christ is letting them know, if you partake of what I have to offer y'all or consume what I have to offer y'all, then y'all get that eternal life. Now listen to what he says. He shall live forever, and the bread that I will give is my flesh. (laughs) I hope y'all listening. This sounds like cannibalism to the the, uh, the novice ear, to the ignorant ear. It says, I will give in my, and read again, and the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. What is he talking about giving his, 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 his flesh for the life of the world? This is what Christ is talking about, y'all. Hold this, and let's get St. John chapter 3. What is Christ talking about? St. John chapter 3. We're going to start at verse 13. And no man had ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, talking about himself, even the Son of Man, which is in heaven. And as Moses, listen to this, lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. What is he talking about? He's talking about Numbers, the 21st chapter, and verse 9. When Moses made that uh, snake on the staff, which is today the medical symbol, by the way, and if the Israelites that believed and looked at it, they were saved. But the ones who didn't believe and look at it, they died. So Christ is giving that example, that analogy, verse 14, we read it again. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. So he's going to be lifted up. Christ is going to be lifted up, which he was, that whosoever believed in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So who is the whosoever? 
Remember, going all the way back to the time of Moses, and Moses led who out of Egypt? The Israelites. So the whosoever in verse 15 is talking about who? Whosoever of the Israelites that believes, they should not perish. That's why he gave the analogy of Moses in verse 14 and what he did in Numbers, the 21st chapter. Now, let's get to the verse. Everybody get lost on verse 16. And that's why I wanted to start up and read it in context, verse 16. For God so loved the world. What world? The world of Israel, man. Because that's the world in question from verse 14 on down. It says that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believed in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And this goes hand in hand with what we just read, St. John chapter 6. Listen to this. I'm going to read it again. Verse 51. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh. I will give for the life of the world. What world? The world of Israel, man, the children of Israel, like it talks about in St. John chapter 3. Hope everybody's seeing that. Verse 52. The Jews therefore strove among themselves, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? See, they thought he was talking about cannibalism. Verse 53. Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except ye eat the flesh of the Son of Man, what is Christ telling them? Except you partake in what I have to offer y'all, my methods, my way of doing things, except ye eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, ye shall know, I'm sorry, ye have no life in you. Whosoever eat of my flesh and drink of my blood had eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth in me, and I in him. So this is another reason people left from following Christ. Let me jump back to that part again. Verse 66, from that time, many of the disciples went back and walked no more with him. You see this, right? Even the disciples didn't understand all the stuff Christ was laying down to give them understanding on. Hope everybody is seeing this. Now, let's get Ezekiel chapter, what is this, 2 and verse 8. Ezekiel chapter 2 and verse 8, y'all. Now, this is going back to what Christ said, that he was the bread. So let's get some understanding on what Christ was talking about, to see that he was using this metaphorically. Ezekiel chapter 2, and let's start at verse 8. But thou, son of man, hear what I say unto thee. Be not thou rebellious like the rebellious house. Open thy mouth and eat that I gave thee. <laughs> so this is the most high telling Ezekiel to eat what he gave him. Now listen to this, verse 8. And when I looked, behold, and, and hand was sent unto me, and lo, a roll of a book. Was therein, and he spread it before me, and it was written within and without. 
So he got a scroll. He got a book. That book is the Bible, y'all. That book is the word of the Most High. He says, and there was written therein lamentation and mourning and woe. So lamentations is to lament, to feel sorry. Mourning is to feel sorry and crying, sorrowful. It says that woe. The word woe means destruction. All of this is contained in the Bible. This is the plight of the Israelite people. Lamentation, mournings, and destruction. Why? Because we would not listen to the Most High. We stiff-necked people still to this day. Now, reading on in Ezekiel chapter 3, verse 1, Moreover, he said unto me, Son of man, eat that thou findest. Eat this roll and go speak unto the house of Israel. Now, <laughs> is he talking about physically eating this roll? He's using this as an analogy because, remember, Christ did the same thing when he said that he was the bread. He told him to partake, digest this. Let this get into your brain, get into your spirit. Because that's why he told them, and go speak unto the house of Israel. So after you partook, after you digest this role, which is my word, the Bible, then I want you to go teach my people. This is the same bread Christ was talking about. He's talking about the word of the most high. I'm going to continue to prove this. Verse uh, 2. So I opened my mouth, and he caused me to eat that roll. So he partook in it, verse 3. And he said unto me, Son of man, cause thy belly to eat, and fill thy bowels with this roll that I give thee. Then did I eat it, and it was in my mouth as honey for sweetness. <laughs> Y'all see this, right? So the book, the, the words of the Most High, they do be in your uh, mouth as sweetness. You know, if you come into the truth, you find out, man, I'm an Israelite. You be happy. <laughs> I'm God, what a God chose the people. Man, Christ died for me. You be so happy. Then you get the law dropped on you. And then brothers find out that they they can't uh they can't shave and have the, the, the naked booty face no more. <laughs> Some brothers be going through changes about shaving. <laughs> That's the bitterness. Well, matter of fact, let's not get to the bitterness. Let's get on the sweet tasting, the honey. Verse 4, and he said unto me, Son of man, go, get thee into the house of Israel, speak with my words unto them. Y'all hear this, right? So the role was the most high's word. All right, now now let's get to the, the bitterness of the word. Let's go to Revelation chapter 10, verse 10. <clears throat> and I looked, I'm sorry, and I took the little book, took that same book, that same role Ezra was talking about, out of the angel's hand, and ate it. See? That analogy, once again, he partook in it. He says, and ate it up. And it was in my mouth, sweet as honey. So, like I said, you find out you're Israelite, you find out the Most High came for you, God's chosen people, you happy. The book tastes good to you. Then you, you learn that all the stuff that you've been lied to about, the book tastes good to you. 
Then watch this. And as soon as I had eaten it, my belly was bitter. When does the bitterness come in? When you find out you got to be in order, man. When you find out you got to stop smoking weed. Just to find out they can't wear them tight blue jeans no more. Oh, man, I used to love them jeans. Man, my booty looks so good in those. <laughs> Sisters got to find out that they got to submit to their husband now. They can't do them. They can't put their Elfham girl dress on no more. Or their Elfham girl pants. Or the yoga pants. The booty pants. Brothers find out that they got to be in order to another man. Why not listen to you, grown man? <laughs> then we get bitter. You find out you can't eat swine no more. You can't eat sea roaches no more. I'm talking about lobster and scrimps. Niggas always think they, they, they want a big time. They, this is the symbol for us when we think we made it. We want to get the steak with the scrimps. That's how you know you bought it. You done made it. Steak and scrimps. Steak and sea roaches. We so we so ignorant, man. So now the book starts telling us things that we can't do. Now we ain't happy to be Israelites no more. <laughs> now the book then got bitter to us. This is what he's talking about. When you find out you have to be disciplined. Uh, the root word for disciple is discipline. So Christ has some disciplined men following him. All right, let's get uh, Romans 1 and 33. Now, remember, all of this, this is why uh, some of the Christ's uh, disciples stopped following him, y'all. They didn't understand the analogy that he was talking about. He was the bread. They didn't understand that. And then a lot of them didn't believe, and they didn't want to do what the scriptures were talking about they needed to do. They didn't want to change. They didn't want to be disciplined. Hold up. I got the wrong verse. I'm sorry. Scratch that. Scratch that. I don't know what this is right here. Oh, that's what it is. Hmm. Let's skip over that. Let's go to Acts, y'all. Go to Acts chapter 1. We are on time. All right, cool. Acts chapter one, and and I know I did a lot of roundabouting, y'all. But the point I was trying to bring out is how Christ's life lost disciples. Even before uh, he resurrected, he had lost a lot of disciples. So let's go to Acts chapter one, and start at verse three. It's, uh, to whom also he shewed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs. Matter of fact, let's just start at verse 1. Let me slow down. Acts 1 and 1. The former treaties have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach, until the day in which he was taken up after that he, through the Holy Ghost, had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom also he shewed himself alive after his passion 
by many infallible proofs being seen of them 40 days. So remember, Christ was seen of them 40 days. So 40 days, and you count another, what, 10 days, and that would give you what? Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost. All right? Just a recap. It says, reading on, and speaking of the things pertaining to, God, to the kingdom of God, and being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which said he, Ye have heard of me, for John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom of Israel? So what was the Israelites looking for? They were looking for rulership, power, and authority once again, which they had, we had during the time of King David, King Solomon, all right, specifically King Solomon. So this is what the Israelites was looking for. All right, let me read on. And he said unto them, it is not for you to know the time or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power, but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and, and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. So he, this is when he was sending the disciples out to teach. And he says the uttermost parts of the earth. The reason why he was going out to the uttermost parts of the earth, he told them in different uh, parables, or not parables, but precepts, to go out and teach all nations. The reason being because the Israelites were scattered into all nations. And this is why he sent them out to all nations. And in verse 8 of Acts chapter 1, he's sending them out to the other parts of the earth so they could go teach the Israelites that were dispersed amongst the other nations. Now, I want to get this. Uh, let's get this book, Caesar and Christ, 75. I want to read some out of this. So, once again, the book is entitled Caesar and Christ. This book is written by Will Durant. Page 575. says the apostles. Christianity arose out of Jewish apocryphic esoteric relations. All right, y'all. So it says Christianity arose out of Jewish, meaning Israelite, apocalyptic. So apocalyptic, some unknown, like we have the apocryphal, which means hidden books. And it says esoteric Revelations. So what does the word esoteric mean? Because I hear this word all the time. I'm thinking it's talking about some mystical witchcraft stuff, right? Esoteric means understood by or meant for only the select few who have special knowledge or interest. <laughs> so it's not for mainstream. So Christianity 
real Christianity was not meant for the mainstream. It was meant for only the Israelites. And once again, to be a Christian means to be a follower of Christ. That's why it says this in this book. Let me read this again. It says, Christianity arose out of Jewish apocalyptic esoteric relations, meaning that Christianity was exclusive to the Israelites, to the Jews. Now, it says Jewish, but remember, y'all, after the Babylonian captivity, they start referring to all Israelites as Jews. All right? Now, once again, a definition for esoteric. It says understood by or meant for only the select few who have special knowledge or interest. All right? Now, I want to get the Zondervan. Because I made a statement I have to prove. I've proven this a thousand times over, but we beat dead horses. So let's go to the Zondervan Compact Bible Dictionary, page 133. And this is all spinning from Acts when Christ told the apostles to go to the uttermost parts of the earth and teach. Now, this is uh, the word diaspora, which means to disperse, y'all. That's why the title of the class is what it is. Diaspora, that which is sown. The name applied to the Jews living outside of Palestine. So you had Israelites that were living outside of Israel, outside of Jerusalem. It says, and maintaining their religious faith among the Gentiles. So you had Israelites that were among the other nations and still practicing the Mosaic law, and they followed Christ. And listen to this. God had warned the Jews through Moses that dispersion among other nations would be their lot if they departed from the Mosaic law. It cites Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 27, 28, I'm sorry, Deuteronomy 28, verse 64 through 68. These prophecies were largely fulfilled in the two captivities by Assyria and Babylonia. But there were other captivities which helped scatter the Israelites. Hope you all are listening. By the time of Christ, the diaspora must have been several times the population of Palestine. Paul invariably contacted the people in every city he visited. So why was Paul doing all this traveling? Why were the other disciples and the other apostles doing all this traveling? They were traveling to teach the dispersed of God's people. Does that correspond with the Bible? Absolutely. Let's get St. John chapter 7. We're going to start at verse 35. St. John chapter 7, verse 35. Then said the Jews among themselves, Whether will he go that we shall not find him? Will he go unto the dispersed among the Gentiles and teach the Gentiles? So this is common knowledge. Every Israelite knew this. Matter of fact, let me read it again in context. Let me read verse 34. Let me start at 33. 
So this is Christ speaking. Then said, the, then said Jesus unto them, Yet a little while am I with you, and then I go unto him that sent me. So Christ is letting the Israelites know he was leaving. But they didn't know by way of how. Verse 34. Ye shall seek me, and shall not find me. And where I am, thither ye cannot go, and not come. That's the uh, 92nd mark, y'all, but I'm going to keep going. Verse 35. Then said the Jews among themselves, so these are Israelites that said this among themselves, whether will he go, that we shall not find him? Will he go unto the dispersed among the Gentiles, diaspora, and teach the Gentiles? So you had Israelites that were dispersed amongst other nations that were referred to as Gentiles, but they weren't Gentiles. They were Israelites. This goes hand in hand with what I just read out of this book. I'm going to go back there and read it again. Caesar and Christ by Wilton Ross, page 575. Christianity arose out of Jewish apocalyptic esoteric. What's esoteric mean again? Understood by or meant for only the select few who have special knowledge or interest. Read this again. Christianity arose out of Jewish apocalyptic esoteric revelations of the coming kingdom. Because what did they ask Christ in Acts chapter 1? Is it time for the Israelites to get the kingdom again? So this goes hand in hand with the Bible. Reading on. It derived its impetus from the personality and vision of Christ. It gained strength from the belief in his resurrection and the promise of eternal life. It received doctoral form in the theology of Paul. It grew, it says the theology of Paul, but what did the Zonovan Compact Bible Dictionary say about Paul? That Paul was visiting these Israelites who grew up in these Gentile places. So this is what it's talking about, the theology of Paul. It grew by the exhaustion of pagan faith and ritual. It became a triumphant church by inheriting the organizing pattern and genius of Rome. The apostles were apparently ununanimous in believing that Christ would soon return to establish the kingdom of heaven on earth. The end of all this is near, says the first epistle of Peter. Be serious and collected, therefore and pray, children, says the first epistle of John. It is the last hour. You have heard that Antichrist was coming, and many Antichrists, then it mentions Nero, Vespasian, Domitian. Antichrist just means someone that's against the principles of Christ, have indeed appeared. So we may be sure that that it is the last hour. The belief in the Masonic, in the uh, Masonic mission, boldly, resurrection, and earthly return of Christ formed the basic faith of early Christianity, which it did. This creed did not prevent the apostles, and this is the part I want to get to. This creed did not prevent the apostles 
from continuing to accept Judaism. What is Judaism? It's belief in the laws that Moses gave, the Mosaic law. So the apostles, were they still keeping the law? Absolutely they were. Day after day, says Acts, they all went regularly to the temple. They obeyed the dietaric and ceremonial law. See, they kept the law. They proclaimed their faith at first only to Jews, often preached in the temple courts. So did the, the, the apostles keep the law? Absolutely they kept the law as well as the faith or the belief in Christ, y'all. I hope that everybody's seeing this because religion will tell you the law is done away with. You don't have to keep it. They always want to bring up Paul's letters, how Paul would say something about the law and how we, how we ain't got to keep it, misquoting Paul and not understanding what Paul's talking about. They bring it up countless times. But this book, as well as the Bible, proves that the disciples were still, in fact, keeping the law. Now, let's jump to page 577. Thereafter, Judaic Christianity. Now, listen to what it says. Judaic Christianity means what? Those Jews that still kept the law and believed in Christ. You do both. I ain't talking about modern-day religion, this Judeo-Christian nonsense. I'm talking about the actual Israelites who believed in Christ and kept the law. Read this again. Therefore, Judeo-Christianity warned or waned in number and power and yielded the new religion to be transformed by the Greek mind. Galilee, where Christ had lived nearly all his life, and where the Magdalene and the other woman who had been among the first to follow him were now lost in obscurity, turned a deaf ear to the preachers who proclaimed the Nazarene as the son of God. The Jews, so in this letter, you know, it's a lot of Israelites didn't believe that Christ was the Messiah, including, as we found out, some of his apostles. The Jews thirsted for liberty and remained themselves daily, reminded themselves daily that the Lord is one. So these are the Israelites that believed in the law, keeping the law of Moses um, and all the other laws. It says they were repelled by a Messiah who ignored their struggle for independence. (laughs) So, these Israelites who were in captivity under the Romans, they rejected Christ, the fact that he would not bring them their independence. Because what did they ask him in Acts chapter 1? Will you at this time give us the kingdom back? This is what the Israelites wanted. They wanted to be out of captivity from up under the Romans. This is history, y'all. Religion ain't going to teach you this. Read on and were scandalized by the announcement that a god had been born in a cave or a stable in one of their villages. Judaic Christianity survived the five centuries, survived for five centuries, in a little group of Syratic Christians called Ebonium, 
So this is talking about Israelites that kept the law and believed in Christ and said they survived for five centuries under these people called the Ebonim, which means the poor. It says who practice Christianity, poverty, and the full Jewish law. Y'all hear this, right? They practice the law. At the end of the second century, the church condemned them as heretics, and they did. And this is where you get the uh, crusades from. This was the beginning of it. Meanwhile, the apostles and disciples had spread the good news chiefly among the Jews of the dispersion. I'm going to read this again. Meanwhile, the apostles and disciples had spread the good news chiefly among the Jews of the dispersion. What dispersion? The diaspora that the Israelites asked Christ about in St. John, the seventh chapter. The dispersion of the diaspora that I read about in the compact compact. Zondervan Bible Dictionary. The diaspora that Moses mentions in Deuteronomy, the 28th chapter, and other mentioned also. So, y'all, I think that this is a good uh, stopping place uh, for blog talk. So let me mark my place, y'all. I want to thank everybody for tuning in and listening. I know we have some new listeners listening on um, this morning. I hope everybody got some edification out of the class. If you have any questions, anything you didn't understand, once again, hit me up at area code 314-482-9110. Or if you just you want to rebuttal, you know, you disagree. You, you, you got facts you want to prove, bring the light. I'm open. We, we can have a discussion. Uh, the water Shaba for hooking up the broadcast, and uh, the water for all the brothers and sisters, man, that are supporting Blog Talk Radio and listening in, man, and give me your feedback, man. I greatly appreciate it uh, for the brothers who did hit me up and let me know that they have been listening and give me feedback on what they thought about the show. So, y'all, uh, that's it for me. Until next Tuesday, Lord willing, tell a friend to tell a friend. To tell a friend to please tune in to Tazza Pop. Tuesday. Tazza Pop. Tuesday. Tazza Pop. Tuesday. Every Tuesday. And with that, y'all, we're going to say Shalom. With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.